I'm going to open the. Yes, we get back here where you can hear me. I'm going to open the discussion tonight by covering uh, some of the missionaries that we have down there, and this is a a picture of uh, of our Latin American brethren that helped on the campaign this year. Uh, we're blessed by having five good men that are working in El Salvador. Victor Bonilla is a graduate of the School of Americas. He and his family have been working in El Salvador, I, b- I believe, since we went down there in 2001. And he's kind of our point person in that country. Um, he lives in, in San Salvador, and that's where we work through the, the government to get our health permits and all to, to work. And so he helps coordinate that for us. Um, in this picture, you have his three children and his wife, Anna Maria. Anna Maria is very active in the work and teaches the children's classes and, and teaches ladies' classes and has been on just about every one of our campaigns. Osmina Maya is the minister at St. Augustine. St. Augustine was the first congregation that we worked at when we went in 2001. Uh, Osmin followed uh, Armando. Armando uh, preached there for three years, and then he's gone home to Honduras, and Osmin is, is taken over. Osmin is, um, has been preaching for 20, 25 years and does a very good job in, um, uh, in the work there. And if there's any question uh, where somebody stands, just ask Osmin. He'll tell you. He knows exactly where he is on every topic. This is uh, Jonas Martinez. Jonas uh, graduated from the School of Americas maybe three years ago. Um, he established uh, with our medical mission, first medical mission in Uslatan. He helped establish the um, La Cruz congregation. And um, Jonas preaches at La Cruz and, and comes to um, all of our work down there. Uh, of course, we've had uh, two uh, campaigns in uh, the, at the congregation where Jonas preaches. Um, and then the last two that we've had have been in the same province within 10 or 15 minutes of, of where he preaches. Jonas also has a, a wonderful wife to support him. Her, her name is Teresa, and they have two children. Teresa teaches the children's classes during the campaign and uh, teaches ladies' classes on a regular basis. And uh, I failed to mention that Jonas has a... Um, a TV program that, that he runs down there in, in Uslatan that's broadcast. So if anybody wants to hear a Spanish sermon on DVD, I'll be glad to show you what he's doing on TV. I hope you can understand it better than me. I don't understand Spanish. Um, this is Oscar Zelaya. Oscar preaches at two places. Um, like Osmin, he has been preaching for 25 or 30 years. He's at the second congregation that uh, we helped when we went down there. Matter of fact, St. Augustine Javier was a congregation that we helped establish in 2002. And he, teaches, he preaches there, and he also preaches at Los Hobos, a congregation he was preaching at before he came to do the work at, uh, uh, there in, in San Francisco Javier. This is a young couple that's working in Santa Elena. This is Jeremiah Zelaya, second-generation preacher. Uh, Jeremiah uh, went to the School of Americas and graduated uh, January a year ago. 
and he's teaching or preaching at uh, St. Elena. And a uh, young lady there with him. Uh, we were there in March, and they were supposed to get married April the 7th. That's Suma. Uh, Suma uh, was baptized in one of our Uslatan campaigns three or four years ago and met Jeremiah when he got out of school. And it is amazing what the work that she's doing at St. Elena. Um, we were there last year, and our contribution was large enough such that they could um, build a classroom building on the back, and her children's classroom looks outstanding. And so uh, they're going to be just wonderful workers for the Lord there in El Salvador. Now I want to tell you about a, a man that we met last year at St. Elena. His name is Ovidio. Uh, I called him Brooklyn. The reason I called him Brooklyn is he spent some time in Brooklyn. And last year I noticed that he spoke quite a bit of English and he hung around the campaign, but he didn't do any work or anything. He just kind of hung around the clinic. The, this was a two-week campaign this year, and we were kind of short on English translators. And so when he showed up for the second week, I, I cornered him into working into the pharmacy. And he worked in the pharmacy for us and translated for us. Then one day at lunch, I noticed him sitting out there studying with somebody. Later on that evening, the video was baptized. Uh, just really amazing young man. Uh, that night, he was in the new converts class. He had notes all in his Bible. He knew his Bible very well. After that night in the new converts class, he came the next day. His wife and his daughter were baptized. Uh, this is a, a man that's a, he'll be a leader. Uh, he's led people to other denominations, and he will lead people to uh, the church there in, in uh, Santa Elena. So uh, Jeremiah and Zuma better be ready because he's going to bring some more people for them to work with. He's just a wonderful man. As I mentioned earlier, this was a two-week trip. We've not done a two-week trip before, and if you talk to some of the red shirts around here tonight, you, you'll find out we still got some kinks to work out. Uh, but... The, the main purpose that we go down there for is to save souls. And it's pretty obvious that, that going over, spreading it over two weeks and having the evangelistic ap- activities over two weeks works. And we'll work out the kinks. Uh, and it'll probably take us two or three years to get them just exactly right and, and where we want it. But um, this is a picture of the, the group that went out the first week. It was the larger of the group. Uh, you'll see the, the pictures in the slideshow coming up while the other men are talking. Um, we'll have pictures of both weeks. And I need to go ahead and make an editorial comment here. I selected the pictures. The men who are speaking have no idea what's up behind them. Try not to distract them from their thoughts because there are some unusual pictures. Um, but I think this year what I decided to do was to focus on our team members and the work they were doing and not so much the, the area we were in or how the clinic works because I think y'all have seen enough presentations to see that. So this is all focused on uh, the workers here and uh, the two-week trip that we had. So with that, I'll, I'll turn it over to Jim Pelfer. Jim was a uh, first-timer with us. Jeremy was a first-time with us. He tried to go last year and couldn't. And uh, Van's been before. Uh, Derek McBroom's going to talk a little bit, and he was a first-timer. So uh, with that, I'll turn the podium over to Jim.
appreciate the opportunity to uh, talk with you a little bit about what took place. As Buddy said, it was my first time to go. And I think one of the questions people who haven't gone have, whether we really want to come out and admit that it's a question in our minds or not, is, is it really worth it? Uh, all the, uh, the expense and the, mostly the time you have to put into it and the thoughts about it being a foreign country and the danger of germs and everything else that goes through your mind. So I wanted to just talk briefly, I hope briefly, <laughs> about a few of the things that if you go for the first time, you will learn by going. Many of these things are things that when I say learn, they're things that we already know, but you kind of get really affirmed. And there are some things that you actually do learn. You know, there are a lot of things that hearing somebody say it and, and believing it is one thing, but getting that firsthand knowledge, experience, that's when you really you get something. So some of the things that you learn if you go to El Salvador on a trip like this is, first of all, that it is a foreign country. Everything is different there. The uh, architecture is different. The, most of the houses are built of uh, cinder blocks and rebar. Rebar seems to be the primary construction element in the houses, along with razor wire, uh, concertina wire, around all the roofs of the uh, roof lines of the buildings, most of which are one story, very few of which have uh, glass window panes, so a different looking uh, city. And we were in a city, an urban area, although many of the streets weren't paved, some were, there was a combination of streets that were just uh, dirt lanes, dusty lanes, uh, some that were fairly neat cobblestones with uh, front porches on the houses that were raised up, maybe that high, sort of like uh, pictures from our old Western movies, Dodge City or something like that. And there was a lot of uh, litter in the streets. It's obvious that there is a different standard of living there. And one of the things you'll learn is, is uh, that if you have to walk a lot, that's a blessing because it's a lot safer than having to be driven in El Salvador where the drivers, <laughs> if you thought it was not possible for drivers to be worse than they are here in Nashville, uh, it is. <laughs> They're really bad. But, you know, despite it being a different standard of living, and obviously there is poverty, one thing that, that you'll learn is that there's not really a sense of misery down there. You don't get the uh, impression that people are just laying about feeling sorry for their plight, whining. People just go about their daily business. And in fact, one of the things that struck me is that the people down there seem to know their neighbors. There seems to be a real sense of community. You'd go up to a door looking for a particular person. Most of the time, they could tell you where they lived. You go down this street, this many houses, turn left here and right there, and they tell you who she's related to and so forth. So people know their neighbors. Another thing that you will learn is that the people in El Salvador are really friendly. It's a very friendly country. I was told uh, before I went, and talking with uh, Buddy and David, that if you're going to go down there for the purpose of having Bible studies, you probably won't get more than two or three doors before you'll have your first one. And that turned out to be true. I'm not sure we even had to go as far as two doors ever before the door was eventually opened to us and we wound up inside somebody's home uh, studying the Bible with them. And the people were all gracious. They were uh, just smiling and happy to see you there. Uh, one experience I had that I'll remember from this trip was as we were walking back for the noontime lunch, and we always had a really nice lunch outdoors there at the uh, church compound, so we were getting close to the church. A great big tree on the side of the street spoke to me in a little boy's voice. I looked up, and the tree said, 
hello, what is your name? <laughs> and I looked up and I didn't see anybody in there, so I started to walk on. Then the tree said again, hello, what is your name? So I stopped and I looked up at the tree and said, my name is Jimmy, what's your name? And I don't remember if the tree told me its name or not, but he kind of giggled. <laughs> but even the trees were friendly in El Salvador. So another time a man who, of course, I didn't know. We were just walking down the street. And he was out watering his front uh, dirt. And he said, uh, <laughs> said uh, good morning. How are you today? And I, I said something in American talk, I guess, like, I'm, I'm fine. How are you today? And he just turned away and went back to water in the dirt. One of the young translators who was with me said he was probably just practicing his English, which people like to do. But, you know, I have had and even have now some neighbors in the United States who don't even practice their English with you. So it's it's very friendly country, and that's one of the things that you'll learn, and you'll get to meet a lot of uh, friendly people who you'll remember. Uh, if you go for the first time, you'll learn things about members of our own Mount Juliet family here that, again, things you already knew but have reaffirmed. Uh, you'll learn that we have many uh, dedicated and hard-working people who are there for a purpose and are glad to be there for that purpose. You'll learn that uh, we have people, elders and teachers, who are just excellent in doing that teaching. You'll learn that if you're like me and the congregation this size still don't know everybody's name or know a lot of people very well, that there are a lot of people who, as you figured and as you hoped, really are nice folks and decent and easy to get to know once you do get to know them. Uh, you'll also learn that there are dedicated Christians like those in our Mount Juliet family from other places as well, all over the world. It's a reaffirmation that the Lord did not establish the church in Nashville, Tennessee, or anywhere even in the south of the United States, that there are dedicated Christians from all over the world, and you'll get to meet some from a lot of countries down there. Uh, one of the privileges I had during the trip was to work through most of the week with a young lady, 18 years old, university student named Jessamina, or Jesse for short, who was a real privilege to get to know, but uh, in talking with her and a lot of the other people and the preachers from the other countries in uh, Central America there, you also learn that Christians all over the world face the same challenges and difficulties, and you'll learn that it is possible to present the truth in love, as we're supposed to do. The uh, preacher that I worked with most of the week was uh, Armando, and one of the things I was very impressed with, not just with Armando, but with all of the others who I saw and got to hear, was how the word was taught boldly. There was no beating around the bush, uh, and yet it was presented in a, in a loving way. That was clear, and the people received it in that way. One example of that that impressed me was uh, Armando, a former Catholic himself. Of course, there are several of those people in El Salvador. And whenever he began teaching with someone who uh, had come out of the Catholic Church, it really struck me that almost in every case where he began with was the, to the topic of, you know, for people who come out of a religion or denomination where there are a lot, are a lot of uh, physical emblems and images involved, the place that he would begin with was the subject of idolatry. So the word was taught very boldly, very forthrightly, 
And yet Armando, as well as all the other preachers, did a terrific job of presenting that word always with compassion, uh, demonstrating in no uncertain terms that the reason we were all there was because we were trying to demonstrate care for the souls of the people who lived there. Uh, You will learn that the disappointments that you run into, the frustrations, are the same there as they are here in the United States. You'll study with people who understand it, seem to understand the word, and you, you feel they're right on the point of accepting it, but then they'll say things like, well, not today, maybe next week. The person who came to mind so often in our studies through the week was Agrippa, and you know that happens here in the United States. It happens there in Central America, too. Uh, so that's not a surprise, but again, a, a thing that you'll have affirmed for you. You could have suspected that was the case, and you'll find out that it is. You'll find out, you'll learn that even with those frustrations, though, and another thing that, again, you knew, but you learned firsthand, is that it is possible to accomplish an awful lot of good even in uh, the effort of the planning of the Word. There was uh, another instance I remember where we went to study with a lady who... uh, like so many of the people, graciously opened her home to us. She had a a fairly nice home. It had a cement floor instead of packed dirt. And uh, she actually had two pieces of upholstered furniture. The main furniture that we saw in homes in El Salvador were uh, plastic, what we use here as patio furniture uh, outdoors. But this lady had a couple of uh, upholstered sofas. And her name was uh, Candidia, I believe, I'm not good with names even of people I know here in the United States, so I may not have that exactly right. But she, we found out from talking to her, uh, had a son who was in prison, uh, unjustly, she said. Of course, I don't know whether that's the case or not. She was very uh, grieving about that situation. It was a real hardship on her. And the day we were there, she also told us about her son in the United States who hadn't called her in a couple of years, and she was... The, the visit we had there consisted mainly of her just kind of pouring out her heart to Armando and Jesse, me, and our sister Anna from the congregation there in Santa Elena, who went with us tirelessly through the whole week. The lady could walk your legs off. But uh, in Candidia's house, the first visit there it was just really emotional. A lot of tears, and Anna shared the tears with her. Well, we ended it with a prayer. And uh, the next day, I didn't even know we were planning to go back, but Armando wanted to go back and see her. And the difference was night and day. She opened the door immediately. She was beaming. For one thing, her grandchild was there, the the daughter of her, uh, and her daughter-in-law. It was the child of her son who was in prison. And we had a a shorter visit there, and she said she would be coming the following week to the clinic because she needed to check with the eye doctor. She clearly had some difficulty with her her eyes. And again, we we closed with a prayer and left, and I found out from a translator, Jesse, that... uh, between the time we left the day before when we closed our visit with a prayer and that morning when we were there, the son in the United States had called her. <laughs> finally, and the, these, this list of things that I'm talking about, of course, it only begins to, doesn't even really begin to scratch the surface of all the things that you will learn by going on a trip like that. But one of the things that all these together uh, affirm and that we all know is the principle that, you know, when you do things that God wants you to do, because God wants you to do them, one of the greatest benefits 
uh, comes to your own self. You wind up doing as much good for yourself as you do for anybody else. So it certainly is worthwhile. And of course, that's something that you already knew, but will be affirmed if you ever have the opportunity to, to make the trip. Good evening. Buddy had already uh, introduced me to you. I am Derek McBroom, and uh, this is, I was a first-timer. And I got to take my son with me, Chad. I want Chad to stand up over here so everybody can see Chad. And that's a blessing to, uh, to get to take your son down and experience something like this. Uh, before I get started, though, there are some thank yous that are due. Um, one of them is to Dennis Buchanan. I've known Dennis for many years, and he recruited me to go on this effort, and I'm thankful that he did that. Also thankful to Buddy and Sissy Pickler for the work that they did. A lot of behind the scenes, a lot of effort. It was a very well coordinated effort, and they did an excellent job of putting that together. Also, I want to thank several of the members here in this congregation who contributed financially to this effort. And uh, with, without that, it, w it would have been difficult to do that. And I, and I tell you, thanks from my heart for that. Going down to this, this trip was a lot of hard work. Uh, everybody put forth effort. But it's not the work that's this, this a problem or, or, or a hard thing because it's what you're doing it for. You know, doing it for God, and that outweighs all the, the blood, sweat, and tears that, that you'd ever ever give or have and it's worth every bit of it as I as I think about my trip down there and what I brought back with me is at night when I lay down there was this family that was behind the church and they had put up a makeshift lean-to up to the church Jonathan Crisp and I went back there a couple of times, and I wanted Chad to see it too. And as you walk back there, it was about 20 foot, and then about a 25 foot drop off. And they were living in this lean-to, and about 10 or 15 foot of real estate. And I've come to know them as cliff dwellers. I mean, they were just literally living on a little strip of, of land there, and they were surviving. And I was impressed, you know. How do you do it? You know, they, they're getting food, and I'm not, they're not getting it off of that strip of land, but they're, they're getting food somehow, and, I, and I'm assuming that they've got a, a breadwinner or a father or a husband that goes out and works in the, the, the sugarcane fields and makes eight or ten bucks a day and goes to Usulton to the market and gets the, the goods and brings it back and and, the, and they eat, live off of that because they have no room to plant a garden. And that was another thing that kind of surprised me too, surprised me as well, is I didn't see a lot of gardening going on down there. Now maybe the ground was too bad or the dirt was beat down where they walked on it day after day, but there was not a lot of gardening. It was mostly, you know, bringing in fruits from the market and stuff. They were raising turkeys. I don't know how they were feeding those turkeys. They had to feed them somehow, and I assume they were raising them to either eat them or sell them for income. There was two little girls. Um, 
an older lady that was washing the clothes. You know, they're in a little basin tub and they're getting water somehow. I'm not sure how. I, I didn't see running water. They had no electricity and they slept on little hammocks. And I mean, these hammocks were basically down to strings. But they're surviving. And I think about it, I'm saying, well, that's God providing. Um, and I was impressed at, at how, they, how they could maintain. Um, and I, I dare say if you were to bring them up here to, to this land and they would see what we, what we have, it might scare them off. They might say, you know, no mas, too much, too much stuff. Take me back to the simple life where I can get my food and that's pretty much it. But here's, here's what we brought to them. Of course, medical aid, our doctors, fantastic job. Aaron, great job, worked hard. Our dentist, Mike. Um, my dad's a dentist, and I didn't realize how much blood and guts there were in dentist work. <laughs> That's where the screaming was going on, was at the, at the teeth pulling. And then the eye doctors, I know they must have prescribed out a thousand pair of glasses. I don't know, there was a bunch of them. But it was, it was constant moving and work, but it was worth it. And I'm thankful that I got the opportunity to experience that. And I, I plan to do it again. In this congregation, you're to be commended for your work, for your, for your support. And I want to say God bless this, this congregation. God will continue to bless us because we've got our heart right. Thank you. Good evening. This was my uh, second opportunity to go to El Salvador. It was a little bit different trip than the one that I had gone on before with uh, Buddy and Sissy, and uh, I believe it's just Craig Gully and I on that, that trip that we went. There was a large group that came up from Valdosta, Georgia on that one, and we did uh, mostly just a door-knocking campaign on that one. This trip was not only the medical uh, mission that was going on, but also we had uh, uh, church services every night. We also had door knocking going on during the day. A typical day that we had, you'd get up around 6 o'clock in the morning, uh, get dressed, go down and get ready for breakfast. Usually have breakfast around 7, between 7 and 7.30. Around 7.30, we'd have a Devo. Uh, some of the young men would uh, do just a wonderful job. You could be proud of every one of our young folks that went on this trip. And uh, they just did wonderful in, in giving Devos, and Phil works with them, and they visited some schools out in the area. And then we would go over to the church building following that. Uh, once we got over to the church building, this was something that was different. Uh, buddy, I don't know. This may have been the first time that you've ever done this, but it was, I thought, very profitable and very, very well done. There would be uh, all of these young preachers and older preachers from El, El Salvador, and not only El Salvador, Panama, Honduras, all of them that were there 
A lot of the Latin American preachers were there, and we had a class for them each morning and had an opportunity to, to speak to them. Uh, matter of fact, I believe I was the first one uh, that week that, that got to speak. I went the first week of the campaign. Uh, Jim Pelfrey did a wonderful job speaking. Uh, James Whitaker uh, spoke to them. Uh, Mr. Roy Shannon, who's here tonight, did just a wonderful job speaking to those men. Uh, and uh, David Shannon also, I believe, spoke to them one day. But I think this was fairly new. But let me say this about these men. That some things have already been said about them. Uh, they're well-versed in the Bible. They know the Bible. And as been said, they're not ashamed to proclaim it. That's one thing that really... Uh, strikes me. And they want to teach the truth. They're very conscientious that their congregation is not going to go astray. They had some very uh, soul-searching questions that uh, I remember one morning Brother Roy and I sat down and talked with a preacher there with an interpreter and had some real uh, good questions to ask. And they want to keep their congregation sound. So I thought this was just a wonderful part of this trip this year. I think that's a great practice when you have that many of them together to be able to do that. And then we'd start the door knocking uh, campaign. I think the uh, teenagers and field and them got to visit a lot of schools during this time. But uh, on our team we that went out, uh, Sissy Pickler, myself, and a man named Cesar, who is a wonderful preacher and just a great interpreter. Uh, he did a wonderful job uh, in when I would slip or maybe I, I would uh, not know what to say next. He would pick right up and take right on with the conversation and carry on. Uh, as like uh, Jim said a moment ago, you'd present the truth. And just like in the States, uh, you'd have what you thought all the truth taught. But a lot of times they just were not going to accept that. Uh, there's a lot of denominationalism down there, a lot of Catholicism. Um, there's even some Jehovah Witnesses in the area in this little small community of St. Helena. And, uh, but it was just a great trip. Uh, enjoyed it. Uh, it was kind of warm. Uh, I remember one night, and actually two nights, we were without, at the hotel there. We Spent the night in a, in a small hotel. The rooms were fairly small, about 10 by 12 room. In ours, there were three beds. Uh, Jim Pelfrey was in the middle. I was over toward one wall, and a man named Paul Brown was in the bed over on the other. But uh, I learned to adjust without air conditioning and without water. You can, you can do with those for a while, at least two days and two nights. You can do that. Uh, you don't smell as good, maybe, but <laughs> you can do that. But that was no hardship at all, really. I really believe if you stayed down there a while, and I'm convinced of this, uh, you'd get acclimated to that climate. Uh, I really believe that, that you could. So please don't ever let that stop you from going. It's warm, but uh, uh, one thing, uh, as you can see in the picture, I believe I've lost weight since then, but uh, when, when we were down there, I'm going to tell you, Ronnie Travis and Kenny Page, and there was another lady, I don't remember her name, is she here? Wonderful job. Yes, she's right here on the front row. They kept us fed, and I mean the food was good, and uh, 
This is just no small task. You've got to understand, they were feeding almost 70 to 80 people a lot of days, three meals. We'd eat breakfast at, at, at the hotel, and then they'd bring food over to us at the church building. And then after the gospel meeting that night, we would go back to the hotel, and they'd, they'd have the food ready for us there. And that was just, we owe them a great amount of thanks and appreciation. That was just a great job that they did. And uh, you will not go hungry on a trip like this. Uh, I, too, cannot say enough about uh, Buddy and Sissy, the wonderful work that they do. We really appreciate them and uh, the coordination they did even before we went, uh, let alone what they did while we were down there. I have a couple of memories I want to share with you before we have the invitation. One was the little lady that lived right there beside the church building. I'm going to have to say a little bit about her. She was about this tall. She would come out uh, of a little hovel-like building. It was just, uh, it was a lean-to made of metal. Had a dirt floor in it. And uh, I don't know how she was able to keep her food, uh, sanitary, and all that. Uh, Carolyn Eakes, and she carried me over there one time to show just what, how this one was living. And she had just a little hammock in there. And then her bed was just a board over some frame of a bed. That was it. And But she would come out every night and every morning, and she'd sit there on a rock right in the fence row beside the church building. And uh, she was paying attention to what's going on. Now, I don't know if we're going to ever be able to reach her, but one thing was that she had lost her home, I think, during uh, an earthquake that had happened there, and her husband, she'd lost him. But I remember her. She will always be etched in my memory on that. And then I remember one particular study that we did with this family that two beautiful young girls, uh, we were talking to them about the Lord's Church and uh, uh, the plan of salvation, and then we got to go back another day. They had asked a question about the judgment, about uh, what, where are we after death, and we got to talking to them about that. And uh, I could see big tears coming in the mother's eye as she sat there with the girls because she knew that they were not in a saved condition. And she knew that. And was hoping that this was going to reach them. And I did all I could do through Cesar, the interpreter, and talked and talked. And then he took up talking to them. Now, it's my understanding they have not obeyed the gospel. But they have had the truth talked to them. I, I can assure you that. And who knows? The Lord works, and he works in his own due time. But hopefully, maybe one day, that they will obey the gospel. But one thing that resulted from that, as we were leaving that house, and I put my arm around Cesar, and I said, Cesar, you're just a great young man. I said, you, you know the scriptures. You're truly a great servant for the Lord. And I appreciate what you did in there. I appreciate how you took over and how you really talked to these folks. And he looked at me and said, Pat, said, we're a team. And that came home to me. You know, that's what we are. When we are preaching God's word, even you folks that were back here, you were part of that team in your support, in your prayers, and what you did as far as uh, while you were back here even. And I hope you'll continue to pray for this work. It's a wonderful work. Uh, a lot of God's 
work is being done down there. The truth is being taught. You can be sure of that. And we're all in this. We had a wonderful team. Uh, sorry I didn't get to stay both weeks, but uh, we, it was just a wonderful trip. And I want to encourage you, if you've not been on one of these, please consider it. Now I want to present just a, a brief uh, invitation for the Lord's work uh, and what he has told us to do and how he's told us to teach his word. A lesson that I taught a lot of times, I want to go to Romans chapter 6. And I try to use this baptism as a resurrection uh, that is talking about here. And let's look at just five verses, will you, for just a moment with me, and then we'll extend the Lord's invitation and be finished. Let's read together from Romans 6. Let's read the first five verses of that chapter. And also, if you would, be open your Bibles to, I mean, your songbooks too. Uh, Jeremy's going to lead us in number 555 in a moment. That'll be the song of invitation, number 555. God's word says, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into his death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I think this is exactly what uh, John is speaking about in Revelation 20, verse 6. And if you'll turn to that passage with me, I want to tie this together. Revelation 20 and verse 6. Let's begin at verse uh, 5. But the rest of the dead shall not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. First resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. This first resurrection that the Revelation writer is talking about is talking about our Christian birth and talking for here from Romans 6. There's four principles that are involved in this resurrection. When we're buried in that watery grave of baptism, we are raised to walk in newness of life. You can have a fresh start in your life through baptism. You're no longer alive to sin. You become dead to sin. It no longer controls you. And all the mistakes that you've made before that are washed away. And as you come up out of that water of the grave, now you have an ability to do things right and do them the right way by living the way God wants you to live. Our new life 
that we live after we've been baptized into Christ helps us to make good decisions. We're going to follow God's Word. It's an obedience to His Word that's going to help us live this new life. That's the second principle. The third principle is that we can have a clean heart. We know that we'll make mistakes. We know that God's grace and mercy, if we're willing to repent of those, will cover those mistakes. The writer in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 says, If we walk in the light as he himself was in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. That verse is telling us that if we are baptized into Christ and we put Christ on, it means that even though we may slip and stumble, Christ's blood keeps cleansing us. We can know that we're saved. That's the fourth principle. We can know that we're saved. We can enjoy eternal life. We don't have to fear anymore the wrath that is to come on those that are sinners. We don't have to fear that at all. We can know that we're saved. In verse 5 that we read here in Romans, it says that we'll be just like Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. I think that's exactly what Revelation 20 is saying. If we live a Christian life after we become a Christian by being baptized into Christ, we can have the confidence that one day we'll share eternity with Christ. We'll be just like him in his resurrection. He's already there. He's in heaven. And he's there reigning over his body, his church today. If you're willing to repent of your sins, if you're willing to confess Christ, after you believed, of course, the first step is faith. You must believe before you repent. And then if you're willing to confess Christ before others, and then be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, you'll be taking part in this first resurrection and if you try to live faithful to that, as much as possible it's in you, you won't ever have to worry about the wrath that's to come upon this world one day. If you're here tonight and you want to obey the gospel, or if you want us to have a prayer for you, or if there's any way that we can help you, I ask that you please come now as we stand and Jeremy.